It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports editor and columnist, along with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at uh, sports topics locally, uh, nationally. We talk some gambling, and we uh, certainly enjoy your questions at the end of the podcast where you can ask me anything, and you can use the hashtag on Twitter, Ask Skinny Anything. Uh, as always, we're keeping our social distances. This is now about, gosh darn, this is, we're going on, what, three or, three or so months of doing this podcast in, in different homes. Is that right? Well, about four now. I mean, because yeah, end yeah. of March, mid-March, around this time in March when we started doing it. Oh, holy cow. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm still, skinny. I'm, I'm pumped though. I'm pumped because of the second to last thing that you mentioned in that intro, which is we are a betting podcast. Yes. And finally, we can get back to talking about some betting because we have actual sports to talk about. You know, I've been making a, a handful of wagers each week on golf. I'll, I'll admit it. And um, uh, I'm down 35 bucks in the span of four weeks because I, I just recouped a little bit on Jason Day's top five finish last week at the Memorial. So hats off to you, Jay Day, for finishing the top five. Thanks, J-Day. Shout out to J-Day for uh, helping you out there. But, you know, to this point, it's been fake sports that feel pretty good because we haven't seen anything in so long. But starting tonight, really, we, we get real sports back. Yeah, it, it is weird. Um, you know, all the fuss about, um, you know, labor strife in baseball and all that, and yet here we are. And I'll be honest, I'm excited for it. And, I, and my excitement could wane in two weeks if the Reds go 2-8 and eight and they're out of it. Um, but I'm kind of excited to watch the, the two national games tonight because they actually mean something for a change. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, man. It's, 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 it's interesting. And next week we get, uh, we get basketball back. I'm not a big hockey guy, but at least hockey, you're jumping right into a, uh, into a playoff format. And then we all cross our fingers for, for not just the NFL, but if you're a football fan, I think you're, you're certainly rooting for college. And for a lot of people, they make it a, a weekend of, of high school, college, and pro. So hopefully we're, we're tiptoeing our way back there. Well, you mentioned it. We were recording this on uh, Thursday morning, and the MLB returns tonight. The Yankees and Nationals start the shortened 2020 season at 7.08 p.m., followed by the Giants at the Dodgers at 10.08. Then Local 12 is your home for Reds opening day on Friday. The pregame coverage for the Reds and Tigers begins at 4 p.m. with the first pitch at 6.10. Skinny, what is one thing you're totally confident about regarding the Reds, and what's your biggest question mark surrounding this team? I'm totally confident that this team's going to score runs because I just think they have too many weapons. And with the DH, you're not having to sit a hot bat. And I like the way that, that, that David Bell will have a chance to mix and match. I think you saw it in the two exhibition games. I mean, he kind of threw out a platoonish lineup, which, which I like. And, and if you look at guys um, and, and look at their splits for a lot of guys, I mean, Jesse Winker just can't hit lefties. Philip Irvin murders lefties. Jeff, Jesse Winker murders righties. Philip Irvin's okay against right. I mean, you just got so many chances uh, to score runs. I mean, there's, there's really not, in theory, a weak part to this lineup. If Nick Senzel's going to DH and bat eighth, great. Or if play, play center field, bat wherever. If Nick Senzel's batting eighth, I think you're going to score a lot of runs. I do. The concern, I guess, would be, it would be, can I depend on Rizal Iglesias to close out games? I'm going to look at last year as a blip. I'm going to la- look at last year as he lost his confidence. Because if you look at some of his metrics, I mean, he averaged well over a strikeout an inning, which means he was still getting the ball past people. Um, he just seemed to gag in tie game situations, and it seemed to get in his head. He didn't like the way he was being utilized. And I guess it concerns me that if he can't bounce back, who fills that role? 
And I know it's not traditional closer anymore, although he's the closer, but that would concern me because th- this team can't afford taking a one-run lead to the ninth and losing three or four or five games. They can't afford going to the ninth, top of the ninth tied and he gives up a home run because he doesn't think he's in a safe situation and doesn't bear down. You can't afford that. So I guess that, that's my biggest concern. How about you? Well, I think on the, the pitching side of things that you just mentioned, I'm concerned about the bullpen a little bit in general. Rizel being a big part of that at the back end. Obviously, the team had their well-known struggles in one-run games last year. And a lot of that was offense, not just the pitching. But a part of that was the bullpen and specifically Iglesias. So that is a a bit of a concern for me. Um, But I would say, actually, I'm most confident in the starting pitching. I just feel like uh, Trevor Bauer being in a contract year to go with Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, which, you know, one of those guys may hit a slump or, or may have an off year. But chances are you're, one of them is probably going to be pretty darn good. One of them is going to be decent to good or maybe even really good. And then one of them is going to be somewhere between slumping or decent. Uh, so, I mean, you've got three legit arms at the top of that rotation. Uh, a lot of teams just don't have that type of firepower at the top. And then they've still got some depth uh, at the back end of the rotation as well. So I think I'm most confident that the pitching will be at least more than competitive enough, um, if not dominant potentially. Um, For me, it's interesting because you bring up the lineup, and I know there's so much talk about this lineup and and how much they've done to upgrade it, specifically just in this offseason. And I want to be optimistic about that. I am optimistic about that. I do think it looks like a lineup on paper that has very few holes. But for some reason, especially after watching last year and their struggles to to get guys in, I, I just have this image in my head that I can't get over of Akiyama doesn't work out. Even though I'm, I'm all about Shogo Akiyama, he doesn't work out. And uh, Moustakis and, and Castellanos slump and Vado can't return to form. And then all like, it just all falls apart and you're, and you end up in the same situation you were in despite their best efforts and them really kind of pushing their chips to the middle of the table for the season. I'm concerned about that, even though to me, it kind of seems irrational to be because they've really done a good job of improving their lineup. Yeah. The thing is though, I'll give you a little bit of that. Akiyama's obviously the biggest question mark because you just don't know if that translates to hitting over here, although he's he's looked good at it times. It looks good, man. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, that homer to center field and the and the exhibition was nice to see too. Dude, Cast, Castellanos is, is, is just entering his prime. I think that's the part that people tend to forget. I, people, people I know, and Moustakis is only get. 30. I mean. Yeah, you could argue he's a hair past it, but he's also now coming into a left-handed hitting power ballpark. I mean, where it, it suits – it suits his swing. And to the, to the Votto thing, listen, I, I've been probably more critical than most of Joey Votto. I'm not over the edge of, of saying he's been a bust and that contract was awful, even though I think it was awful. But um, I think the thing that's unfairly happened to Joey Votto over the last few years is you've expected more. You've expected MVP Joey Votto as he aged. And guess what you had to have in order for this team to do anything offensively the last few years? You needed MVP Joey Votto because you didn't have a lot of pieces around him. And and, it, and now, you give me the Joey Votto that's going to get on base 365, something along those lines, is going to slug, you know, 400 and not going to hit it out of the park enough, but um, that you could bat second, that if he's not swinging, you can hit him seventh and not have to worry about it because you've got plenty of options to hit up in the lineup. You don't have to count on Joey Votto. He's just a nice added piece to your lineup. And I think the last few years, in order for the Reds to do anything offensively, you had to have him produce at the MVP Joey Votto level, and he just isn't that player any longer. 
I, I do really love the idea of Vado without any pressure except for the competitiveness of trying to keep pace with a couple of other guys who may be out slugging him on this team. Like the, I feel like that would be a really good environment for Joey Votto to thrive in. So I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited about this lineup. I really am. It just seems like when the Reds have gotten the big free agent pieces in the past or like the trade, whatever, the upcoming prospect, whoever the, the next big name is to sort of fill the gap that we're excited about, it just never seems to work out the way it's expected. It seems like the Reds do well and have those good offensive teams when you've got the uh, Scooter Jeanette scrappy guys that are kind of playing above their potential for a year or two. And so it concerns me, I think, just from the general being a jaded, pessimistic Cincinnati sports fan more than anything else. Yeah, I I do understand that, but I think even some of that – I think people look at Nick Senzel's year last year as not very productive, and I would invite you to go back and put it in the prism of that's what a rookie did called up at midseason. And you look back at the numbers, they're actually pretty darn good. I mean, I think we all expected him to be up here and be a 310 hitter with a 450 on base and slug 540. Not going to happen as a rookie. It's just, I mean, it's just not. Look, Go back and look at his year in the prism of a rookie and go, okay, and with expected improvement. And, yeah, I guess the guy can slide backwards and be a bust. If that's the case, that's just bad luck. I mean, bottom line is, uh, and, and this is a guy that, that, you know, last year when he came up, you had to hit him leadoff because guess what you didn't have, Rick? You had nobody else to hit there. Right. Now you're going to hit him eighth. You're going to hit him eighth. Yeah, I mean, which I, I was a little surprised they didn't just bat him ninth as like that sort of se- second leadoff second guy. Second leadoff yeah. guy, yeah. yeah. Especially with Akiyama looking like, you know, he can slap the ball around a little bit and maybe move you around. So, And you may do that as the year goes along. But but yeah, but, but my point is he's hitting at the bottom of this lineup as opposed to the very top of it because of the pieces they've added. That's right. pretty good to me. No, I'm excited about Senzel. And, and again, I'm really excited about the whole lineup. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about that – I don't really think it's a question mark for me because I'm just not expecting much from it, but that's the defense of this team. I don't think they're going to be very good defensively. Um, I think they'll be okay, and I think anymore, again, it, it's funny. We, we all make fun of that LaRose's promotion, right, the 11 strikeouts, and it feels like every night the Reds get to that 11 strikeout number, right, at home especially. Yeah. And, and they do because that's baseball today. Right. So you're it's- talking about all you need is 16 other outs. Of those 16 other outs, how many of those are probably routine? Yeah, you know, it's it's strikeouts, uh, walks, home runs, and and big fly balls a lot in baseball now. Right. I mean, you, you are right. So I do think defense, the impact of defense has been minimized a bit. But um, at the same time, this, this isn't a defense that's going to save you games. No, but I, I just hope it's a defense that doesn't throw innings away. If, if it's a team that's maybe not going to make a play here and there, but it's going to catch the ball and is not going to make errors and is not going to – make it a four or five out inning. I, I think I'm going to have to live with that just because of the offensive upgrade. Yeah, And think, the fact that I've got a pitching staff that can strike people out. I think that's the key, right? Just have a group of guys that are locked in and committed and not throwing the ball around, not making stupid mistakes or, or just being unfocused in general. As long as, like you said, you can rely on them to make the routine plays, you can live with the rest. Yeah, no, I agree. And no, it is not, you're right. It is not a great defensive team. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, an outfield of Winker on one side, Castellanos on another is going to make Shogo Akayama have to run from, from, from gap to gap on a nightly basis. That's, that's a lot to ask. And I don't know how good of an outfielder he is because I haven't really seen him. Yeah. And then you've the up the middle in the infield. I, I isn't great either to be no, honest. Right, I agree. So no, I agree uh, with that. But I mean, again, like make the routine plays. Don't, don't give teams an extra out, you know, multiple games in a row or whatever, and an extra out per inning. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with that. All right. 
Who are your top three key guys to watch for the Reds this year? doesn't have to necessarily be like your MVP or your most important guy or whatever, but just give me three names that you're going to have your eye on because you just think they're going to be important. I think Bauer. I think you hit on it. Um, yep. he He's number not, one for me. He, he was not very good last year. Um and maybe some of it was the disgruntlement of the trade, just, you know, and maybe just didn't, lost focus, whatever. Um, and I don't, I can't tell you I need him to get back to Cy Young level Trevor Bauer, but get me to low to mid 3RA, which I think he's capable of Trevor Bauer. And, and look, I'm very confident in Luis Castillo. I'm very confident in Sonny Gray. Um, and health is always the question, but I'm going to throw health to the side because that's, I think everybody knows that's a given. But, but based on where they are in their career, I feel really confident in the one-two punch. If Bauer becomes Bauer at number three, you got yourself a really good top end of the rotation where in this season where you can't afford to have four, five, six-game losing streaks, you got three potential stoppers right there. I mean, really, three guys that can stop a streak or can continue a winning streak. So yeah, or win he's, number, he's, no, he's number one for me. Yeah, he's number one for me by far. Um. I guess number two, I have to go with Iglesias because I still believe in the guy. I, I just, I'm going to look at last year as just chalk it up to a bad year. Um, and, and maybe even not even a full bad year, but, but bad moments, bad enough moments to make the ERA go high. Um, I still think the guy's really, really talented and he's got great stuff. And, you know, the years leading up to last year, he was a 2.5, almost consistently 2.5 ERA guy. I mean, there was a real level of consistency with that guy that I believe is still there. Um, and based on what they need him to do in the bullpen, he's number two. And I guess number three is Akiyama, because if he is the guy we believe, if he's a 300 hitter with a 385 to 390 on-base percentage with gap-to-gap power and occasionally the ability to hit the ball to the ballpark and hit at the top of the lineup against both lefties and righties, you have that long, sought-after leadoff guy. You don't have to throw Nick Senzel there because you have no other choice. You don't have to throw Joey Votto there because you have no other choice. You have a legit table-setting leadoff guy that isn't just a slap hitter that can get you some gap-to-gap stuff. Um, and, and can really ignite this offense. So those, those are my three, and I, I'm not even sure I can give you a, a fourth if I had to. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting how close our lists were. Um, I left Iglesias off uh, just because I, I do think he'll improve. I don't think um, he's going to be dominant again, but I think he'll, he'll be back to being solid. Uh, my guess is you know, it's, some, it's sort of a happy medium between what he used to be and what he was last season. I look at it as Trevor Bauer, number one, all the reasons you laid out. You hit the nail on the head right there. And then Shogo Akiyama, to me, is number two, just because that, that leadoff position, it's been elusive for the Reds to try to find someone that could fill that spot. And he looks like he has the potential. He, in addition to all the things you mentioned, he's also really fast. Um, I didn't realize how fast he was until he hit a routine ground ball to third base the other night in their uh, exhibition and nearly beat it out on like, I mean, it was, it wasn't even a slow roller. It was a normal routine ground ball um, with the third baseman playing up. And and Rick and Rick think, think about this for a second too. He's on base. And while the stolen base has been minimized and he's not Billy Hamilton. And if you look at his numbers in Japan, he's not a, a, he's not Lou Brock or Vince Coleman, right? Right. He's not, he wasn't really a big stolen base guy. Right. I didn't know he was so quick. Right, but he's on first base with Joey Votto having that huge hole to shoot at on a regular basis and a chance to go first to third on a regular basis. Think of the pressure that puts on defenses. Right. No, totally agree. Um, And then my third guy was Mike Moustakis, and I think you probably could have put Castellanos in here, basically three, four, either one for me. Uh, But again, because of my concerns about that lineup just not coming to fruition the way everyone expects, I feel like one of those two guys 
have to be studs. If they fill the middle of the lineup the way we expect to go with Suarez, and then you can get Vado as kind of an afterthought, but still hopefully solid, you've really got the makings of something special there. Um, but you need one of those two guys at least to, to really have a good year. Uh, so I have Moustakis as my third guy because he has a little more pop. Yeah, I, I, the thing for me is I, I, I have no doubts about Castellanos. I know some people do. I just don't. I mean, I, I just look at where he is in his career, and I, I think the guy's going to be great. Moustakis, yeah, I think that's a fair – that might be a fourth guy for me if I had to do it, just because guys that swing and miss a lot, the older they get, eventually that gets them, right? That suddenly they're swinging and missing more often, and they fall off the cliff, and you're like, man, what happened to that cat's career? Well, it just got to the point where he couldn't catch up anymore. I don't think Moustakis is there by any stretch – but it's possible because he's a big swing and miss guy. So it, it's possible. But uh, the other possibility, the good possibility is he also could be in this, in this shortened season, um, you know, a, a 12 to 15 home run guy as well. And that would be huge. No doubt about it. Yeah. All right, skinny. It's the moment we have been waiting for time to get into a little bit of gambling talk here. Let's uh, look at some of the numbers we have. So we'll look at the red specifically, and then maybe you can give me some other MLB lines that you might have liked um starting with the reds to win it all plus 2500 favorites are the dodgers at plus 375 the yankees at plus 400 and the astros at plus 800 what do you think about the uh, reds as a long shot plus 2500 there that was according to DraftKings this morning yeah to win it all i say no i wouldn't take that value i did get them to win the national league at I think 18 to one, I've got a ticket somewhere, 18 to one or 16 to one. I can't remember which it was. And, and that to me was a little better value because it's one thing to win the, win the, the national league. Then you're going to have to go beat a really, really exceptional team from the American league. And I think that's a big ass. I think I, for me, I was looking going, listen, they make the world series. I want to cash in on that. I, I don't, I don't need to cash in a little bit more if they win it all. Um, to me, I, I just, I don't see great value there. I do see some great value in the twins some great value, maybe even in the Oakland A's. Um, and that's probably you're looking to go, wait a minute, they're going to have to get through the Yankees and the Astros. Yeah, but I'm going to take a value shot in a weird year where a, a team has a, a couple of guys go out for two weeks because they're quarantined. Um, and, yeah, that could happen to my picks as well. But I think I'd rather have the value of that as opposed to going, man, I bet the Yankees at 4-1 to one, and they lost – three key guys for two weeks because of COVID. And I still think they're the best team, but they still didn't even win their own division. Um, I, I don't want to be sitting there with a four to one ticket. I, I'd rather be sitting there taking a shot on an 18 to one or 20 to one, but for the Reds in the world series, I, I don't, I don't like that value. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. That puts them at about 13th. Um, if you were to rank them and, you know, like power rankings in terms yeah, of the it's, odds. It's pretty um, good. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how high Vegas is on the Reds, in my opinion, to win it all. I thought they'd be a little farther back. Uh, honestly, I thought they would be a little better odds to win the NL. Like you said, you got them 18 to 1. Uh, I'm looking at DraftKings now. They're at plus 1,100, so like 11 to 1. Uh, they're going down, then. Pe people are starting to bet on them, it looks like. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm a, So I'm, I'm a little surprised. I thought maybe they would be smaller odds, like the 11 to 1 that you're seeing now to win the NL. Uh but I didn't expect that for the World Series. Plus 2,500 is not quite as good as I would have expected. So I would lay off that. Plus 1,100 to win the NL. I liked it better at where you got it. 18 to 1 sounds, sounds pretty good to win the NL. 11 to 1, it's okay. Not bad, but right. I don't feel great about their chances, especially with the Dodgers. Um, and the Dodgers can screw it up. They're the Dodgers. But 
still there. There's still some talent in the NL above the Reds that I don't know. Well, that I can see the Reds pulling off the uh, the pennant. Yeah, and that's where I go back to that whole World Series thing. I could see them winning the National League. I really can. But then I, I don't want to have that happen and go. I'd rather cash in on that as opposed to sitting here hoping I can now beat an American League on te- team on top of it. Eleven to one. I, I'm not sure I make that wager at eleven to one, Rick. I don't. Like, I don't even think I like that value to be honest with you. I don't either. But you got it eighteen to one. That's better. So shop around if you find a better price on it. Right. It sounds like it's been getting bet down um, as we get closer to first pitch here on Friday night. The uh, Reds are plus two thirty to win the NL Central. That is second, right behind the Cubs. The Cubs are plus two twenty five. So basically, they have it neck and neck between the Cubs and the Reds in terms of the odds right now to win the NL Central. What's your take on that? Again, I don't like the value. That's literally if you're a horse racing fan, that's essentially five to two. Um, uh, you know, you're getting five dollars back for every two you bet. I just. Uh, I just don't like the value. I, I, if you get me four to one, I think I'd take it. But five to two, I think I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna pass. Even though I do think they're the best team in the Central, I really believe that. Yeah, I'm with you again. The value just isn't there for this pick, and and you know, I mean, it depends on what type of better you are. If you feel really confident about the Reds winning the NL and you want to put a lot of money down on one bet, then you know maybe the plus two thirty is something you're looking at as opposed to um, betting well, here, the, the over under wins at thirty one. Yeah, hear me out on this. Yeah, that's the one of the two things I would do. I would either go and would bet basically as a 50 50 bet on the over 31 and a half or 32 wins, wherever it's set now. Or if you are, if you really think the Reds are going to win the Central, then go ahead and bet them at 11 to 1 to win the National League at that point, right? I mean, yeah. you're getting five times the value at that point. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, when you look at the over 31 and a half wins um, over under there, the over is minus 134 while the under is plus 108. So, again, not much value. You're having to put down so much money to get anything in return um, on the NL Central or the over under win total that I'm with you. I think you're looking at if, if you really feel good about this Reds team, probably the best value is picking them to win the National League. But again, I don't love the odds there at eleven to one as opposed to like the eighteen to one that you got yeah, uh, no. earlier in the week. So yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That, that's that's pretty pretty well said. Okay, a couple of individual player futures to look at. Uh, Shogo Akiyama is plus one thousand for National League Rookie of the Year. That's one that I personally am going to get down on. I just yeah, and, I, I, and, I'm and for all the, and for the, the Shogo yeah. train. Yeah, just just for people when you when you hear that that's that's ten to one. Right. Uh, that, that that's what you would get back for a hundred dollar bet. So sometimes you hear that and you're like, wait, plus a thousand? That's that's a ten to one bet. I like that one too. I, I'm with you. That's a, I think that's a pretty good value because I, I think the guy is going to be really good. Um, I, I guess I think to- if he's legitimately good enough to be the leadoff hitter for the Reds all year and he produces at any type of reasonable level, he should be in the hunt for rookie of the year. Well, if if he does what you're expecting him to do at the top of a of a good lineup, um, then this team's probably going to win and maybe win the central. And he's going to score so, a lot of runs, which means what? If if they usually it's it helps to be on a winning team to to add to some of those individual awards, right? And if he's a big part of that, I think he's got a good chance. I'd have to take a deeper dive into some of the other rookies, but at ten to one, I I think sign me up for that one. Yeah, I, I think that's a, another really good value, too. The uh, top two guys on the list are Gavin Lux and Carter Keboom. Oh, so yeah, yeah. You're familiar with them, I'm sure. Yes, yes. So, yeah, um, Yeah. no, I, I mean, 10 to 1, give me give, give me Shogo. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right, the most home runs in the league. And, by the way, Eugenio Suarez finished second last year with 49. Uh, he is plus 2,500, so or 25 to 1 odds. 
um, to finish with the most home runs. The top two on that list are Joey Gallo and Mike Trout. Both of those guys are 10 to 1 odds plus 1,000 to finish with the most home runs. Do you like Suarez at plus 2,500? I do because I, I think he. I, I still think in a 162 season, if you look at his numbers in his career, and he's just now getting to that latish 20s, still in the power prime, he keeps going up and up and up. And to me, I you know he had 49 last year and would have been in the 50 range this year. I think I at 25 to one, that's that's pretty that's great value because I think he's got a great potential to do it. I'm I'm with you. Uh, just looking at his splits from last year, you know, in in a given month, the most home runs he hit was 12. That was during July, but he also followed that up with 10 in August and 10 in September, October. So, I mean, looking at those numbers, he can easily hit you 20 in a two month stretch. Yeah, correct. I mean, if if you do it, if we set 50 home runs as the benchmark, they're playing a 37% of the season, right? So whatever, I'd have to do the math, 37% of 50 is, I'm doing this off the top of it, about 18 or 19 homers. Um, so that would be equate to a 50 home run season. So yeah, if he hits 20, that equates to a 50 home run season. Um, I, I think that's got a great chance to lead the league and um, I think he's got a great chance to do it. So yeah, at those kind of odds, absolutely. All right. Um, final one I had here was Shogo Akiyama plus 7,500 as the hits leader. 75 to one is pretty good yeah, odds. It is. It's great odds, actually. I think it's worth it. For a leadoff hitter, that's probably going to be the leadoff hitter for the entire season, I would imagine, unless he flops. Yeah, I, I think the only, the only, I guess, downside would be if he doesn't hit lefties and he starts getting platooned on a regular basis then you may lose out. He's also a guy that will take a walk. I mean, and, and that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, in, in, the, in baseball parlance, it's a great thing for a leadoff guy to take a walk. Um, but it also will cut down on your number of hits. But at 75 to 1, if I had a five spot, I think I'd plunk a five spot down on 75 to 1 just because of what we've talked about, that if, if he does prove to hit lefties, he is going to hit leadoff every day. And in a season where I don't think you're going to give a lot of your top players days off, right? You just can't afford to, even though – um, you know, you're, you're squeezing 60 games into 66 days and guys are going to need a little bit of rest. But again, when every game's mattering, I don't think you're giving them a, a ton of rest. I don't think you're doing it one day a week. You may give them one day every two weeks just to give them a breather. I mean, you, you could conceivably see him playing 57 or 58 of the 60 games. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if, if it's a good lineup as well, you know, he's going to get an extra at bat that maybe other teams don't as you keep turning the lineup over with the DH that probably helps too uh, for, for him. Uh, yeah, seventy-five to one. Again, if I had a five buck, if I had a five spot in my billfold, I think I'd plunk it down to that in a heartbeat. Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, and Whit Merrifield are all twelve to one as the top guys as yeah, the I, top I, hits leader. So I think if okay, I'll, I'll have a I got a ten in my pocket, so I'll put a five on five on Altuve and five on Shogo, and I'll feel pretty good that I'll get one of the two of them, and I can make at least a minimum of fifty dollar profit. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears now from baseball to the NFL. The NFL Players Association has agreed to the league's plan to drop all preseason games for the 2020 season. The agreement between the union and the league came just a day after the league made the proposal on not playing any preseason games because of the coronavirus pandemic. Do you think this is the right decision for the league and the players, and do you think we'll see this continue in years to come? I don't think we'll see it continue in years to come. I do think that we, the, the, the four-game preseason is a, is, a, is a long-gone thing of the past that it was going to be anyway. 
Um, I mean, that, that was a foregone conclusion that that was going to end. I think the players are being extremely short-sighted. I know they're citing medical experts that, that talk about the, the two-week ramp-up process and then some padded practices and all that. But I, I think it's short-sighted for a lot of reasons. I mean, free agency is a big thing in the NFL. And I think you need to play against some other people to kind of get a feel for each other. Um, I think it's short-sighted for, for guys trying to make the back end of a roster. Um, Jake Dolagala doesn't make this roster if he doesn't play the way he played against the Colts. Alex Erickson, go back to the, his rookie year, undrafted free agent wide receiver out of Wisconsin. I want to say it was the first home preseason game. It might have been the first preseason game of that year. He returned to punt for a touchdown, kind of opened some eyes. And then here he is five years later still playing in the league because of the preseason. There's a lot of guys that, 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 that this is what the preseason does for them. And, and I think for, for the stars who, who kind of got behind this, right, and, and that whole social media thing on Sunday, it wasn't directed straight at the preseason, but was directed at the NFL as a whole for protocols. Look, if you're a star and you don't want to play preseason games, guess what you're not going to do anyway? And especially in, in a short preseason like this, you're going to get a, f- a few snaps a series and you're done for the preseason anyway because you've, you, you've been through it. But I think it's short-sighted for rookies. It hurts them. It hurts the Bengals a ton because of Joe Burrow and Jonah Williams. I mean, good gracious, their first live snaps are going to be with, with the bullets flying. Good luck with that, fellas. Um, I, and I think it's short-sighted for the rank-and-file members, the back-end guys of the roster who are trying to make a team have almost no chance. And when you talk safety, if you want to go to when they have padded practices and there's only so much contact, and i got to look and see how they're going to do this as far as how many contact, full-contact practices. There's very few in, in preseason uh, in training camp. What happens when that undrafted rookie free agent linebacker decides, you know what, I got to make a name for myself. I'm going to blow Joe Mixon up. And I'm going to do it safely, but I'm going to blow him up because I need somebody to see that I can make a play. And you hurt Joe Mixon then. Then what? Was it really that safe? I, I think it's short-sighted. And I think the other part is, I think players and teams, and the team should have fought this, the league should have fought this. I think you need to know, how is your home stadium going to handle game day operations? Do you want to really have to try that the very first regular season game and figure out, wait a minute, what are we going to do with the concession stand lines? What are we going to do with this? You can have a plan, but you got to at least try to enact it. And then I think, I think the initial plan of one home, one road was perfect. The road game part of it is, all right, how are we going to handle travel? How are we going to handle busing? How are we going to handle hotel? How are we going to handle meals? How are we going to – instead, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants because you have no dry run at this. I think it's extraordinarily short-sighted on the player's part. Well, you laid out a well-thought-out argument there. I, I can't argue with that. At the same time, I just think the potential for something bad to happen outweighs the advantage you're going to get by having a dry run at right, traveling. How? how? Well, just because you're exposing – I mean, if you travel with an entire team somewhere, you're exposing them to something you don't have to. I mean, outside well, well, Rick, elements. Well, Rick, so teams are going to travel on September the 9th or 10th or whatever the hell that weekend is, the first weekend. How is that going to differ two weeks from them traveling earlier for a preseason game? You really think this thing's going away between no, it, now and that part of September? It won't. It'll just be one more added date onto the thing and uh, a date that players already don't want to play and make. So, I mean, if the if the league was going to offer this, the players were always going to agree with it. They don't want – the preseason games, except for the last guys on the roster, like you're talking about. And unfortunately for those guys, the Alex Erickson's of the world, you're right. This will take away some opportunity, 
they don't make the decisions. That's just the way the world works. And to be honest with you, a lot of times those guys are hyped up more during training camp when it's just practice and they're running right. and that, uh, seven and on sevens and they don't have to get into the actual bullets flying a preseason. So no, that, that's where an injury is going to happen. No, that's where an injury is going to happen is a guy who is, is overhyped, is trying to show something, is trying to prove himself. That's where someone's going to get hurt. Well, I mean, that's possible, but you're taking that risk either way. I mean, they're, they're, they could either get hurt on the field in a preseason game or at practice if you're having to go a little harder at practice. But either way, I just think it, it, we're moving towards not playing as many preseason games, and this was certainly the year uh, to cut them out. And to me, two is plenty. I think two is plenty even in a year that's a non-COVID year. It's, it's, sure. it's more than enough. It gives you, your veterans a half in a game and maybe a quarter in another and they're done. And it gives you enough time to see what the other guys have. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. The, the, the four is always – we know it's been way too many. It's, it's almost silly. But trying to get prepared for a season – I mean, you hear about college coaches. They, they get mad that literally, you know, and one of the reasons that a lot of the Power Five teams ease into games is – they're not ready to play that first game either. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a preseason game for them to a large degree yeah, to see what they've is... got. And, and I'm telling you, you, the first week of the NFL is going to be some of the worst football you have ever seen at that level. And trust me, I think the NFL product sucks as a whole anyway. I think it's a horrible <laughs> product. Um, I think the football is absolutely horrendous. Um, and it's going to be worse because they will not be ready to play. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you there, but I also think this is, to a certain extent, a situation where you got to save the coaches from themselves a little bit. These guys are so process-oriented, and they're a victim of a construct they've made, right? Like the, the idea that they need all this time to ramp up and get everything going is because they've made it that way. They're obsessed with their weirdo processes and everything else. Like, if you just have to get out and go and play football – They'll figure out a way to do that too. You know, like it'll it'll all be okay. And like if you have to I don't think it's that easy. get meals to guys, they'll figure out a way to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like they're they're obsessed with their routines and all that stuff because they're weirdos and they like talking about that and writing books about it because someone else did before them and so they've taken on that personality. But like they're all characters. Like it's it's not real life. You can just do what needs to be done, just like you and I would if we're going on a trip to cover a game. You'll figure it out. I still think you need to play somebody else. I think it's it's extremely short. I think the players, honestly, this is a way to beg out of playing preseason games. And like I said, they've always wanted to. Right, and that's fine. The vast majority of veterans, guess what they're not going to do anyway? They're not going to play preseason games. They occasionally get injured playing that that first quarter or whatever. They don't don't want to take that chance. That's very rare. Very rare. And I'm telling you. Key John Carter doesn't think so. Well, Keyjana Carter could have blown that knee out at any point in time, too. I mean, that was kind of freaky when push comes to shove. I mean, A.J. Green got hurt in the first practice. Do we want to cancel practice? Yep. I mean – Allen Iverson does. (laughs) Yeah, there's no question about that. I'd like to see A.J. come up with that. (laughs) Talking about practice. practice. I blew my foot out in practice. (laughs) Um, I just – I think it's just silly. I I think you needed this preseason a couple of games. I don't think it was too much to ask. And certainly, if you even pared it down to one, I think one just to at least see what you got. I'm telling you, I feel for Joe Burrow. He is going to stink on top of sub-stink that first game because he's not going to know what's hit him. He's not going to know how fast that game really is, and it's going to be a disaster. That A.J. Green getting injured in the first practice story made me uh, think of high school, my first high school baseball game ever. We're playing Dixie in warm-ups. Ground, I'm just jacked up. I'm third base taking ground balls. Down the line, I dive after a ground ball and warm-ups and break my thumb. Have to miss the first I should, I month and laugh. a half of the high school season, which is basically the entire season in high school. 
So. I, I should I shouldn't laugh because you broke your thumb. But what are you doing diving for a ground ball? And that's what exactly. we tell the, it's it's the dumbest you thing. The, you tell the coach, listen, can't you, can't you hit it a little bit better? I know maybe he's trying to get you to backhand one, but if he hits it too far and you can't backhand it with a a step, you just flail your glove at it and go ahead, double down the line. Good luck. Yep, my, exactly right. I mean, it was the dumbest thing I've probably because done I'm in my I'm, life I'm gonna I'm gonna. There. I'm going to guess at that point, the lineup was already made out. So you weren't going to change his mind by diving for a ground ball and warm up, right? No, no. I mean, I'll start in the game and I was going to be <laughs> pitching in it too. So like I ended up pitching that game and then the next game against Covcat before I finally got seen by a doctor. And they're like, oh no, everything is broken. That's why you're oh, crying every time you catch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All right. A former local prep star made some college basketball headlines this week. Adam Kunkel, a first-team all-conference guard last season at Belmont as a sophomore, announced Tuesday he had entered the transfer portal. Kunkel averaged 16.5 points per game while shooting 39% from three-point range last season. Cincinnati, Xavier, Kentucky, Louisville, and Dayton have all reached out in addition to Creighton, Arkansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and St. John's. Skinny, what do you think the former Cooper High School star could bring to a high major program, and where do you see him ending up potentially? Yeah, from what I understand, Creighton and Xavier are the only two to make formal offers as of yesterday, and that could have changed in, in the interim. The other teams, as you mentioned, I've heard are interested as well, but from what I understand, it's just those two that have made uh, the formal offer, but I think probably more are coming. Um, look, you and I are really familiar with him because we're both Northern Kentuckians. We both saw him play in high school, and, and he was just a great high school player. Um, it felt like Belmont was a great fit for him, right? It just – that seemed like the perfect thing. And then he goes down there and doesn't play a ton as a freshman, does okay, and then last year blows up, and it's, it's, it's that typical under-recruited kid that – I get why he was under-recruited. I get why Belmont was probably the best level for him at the time, but then he proved himself. And so now, to me, I think he can help – help a lot of the major programs. I mean, I think Kansas supposedly has at least shown some interest. I don't know if you mentioned them or not. I think they've, they've shown some, whether it's, you know, huge or not, I don't know, but dude shoots it. He's a gamer. Um, he's got one of those funky body types where he just can get into people and he's way more athletic than you think. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the kids. I, like I said, I thought Belmont was a perfect fit. I hope the, I, my hope was he'd go down there and play well enough to eventually start in a really, you know, that's a, Belmont's a, Good mid-major program. I think you'd agree with that, right? A consistent NCAA yeah, tournament they're, contender. They're, so, they're the class of the Ohio Valley. Correct. And he was great. He wasn't just good. He was great. Um, and I think the potential, I think he still is getting better and better. I, I think he's a good fit for, for just about any program that wants him. Yeah, I would agree. The thing about Adam Kunkel um, is, well, he's white. And so when he was in high school, he got labeled as a shooter, as sure. a lot of white kids do, especially from this area. And I don't think anyone recognized the other. Well, the other thing that was going on was he was on a a team with another guy who was getting recruited a little bit more heavily in Sean McNeil. Right. Uh, but the interesting thing about them was McNeil was the the better high school player, or at least the more high profile player, because he scored more um, and, and he shot better from three point range. But Kunkel ran the show, man. Well, and Kunkel was the better athlete, and and I think yes. a lot of people looked at the two and they said. Well, McNeil's not a high major athlete, and maybe not even a Division One athlete at the time. Oh, why would this? Why would we take the second best player on the team in Kunkel? Um, but what the, I don't think they saw in Kunkel is he has a good first step. He's quick laterally. He can finish around the rim despite not having any weight to him at all. He's way too skinny right now, and and uh, that's one of the things about this process is Belmont should have redshirted him when he got there as a freshman. Yes, yeah, probably right. It. He needed to add strength, and they didn't use him at all. 
And, you know, granted, if they would have done that, it would have opened up the opportunity for him to be a uh, graduate transfer after he played, you know, those three years and he was a senior. But you would have had him for that amount of time. Instead, what you did is you wasted a year of him. Now he has that year that he can sit out to transfer because you didn't redshirt him. So he still has that extra year of eligibility. So that's what he's going to do. He has basically already said, at least uh, according to sources around him, that he is going to sit out next year and get in the weight room, learn his new system, and he wants to start back up in 2021 and 2022 with two years of eligibility left. So that is a nice piece to have, a guy that's going to be in your system for three years, play for two years, and, oh, yeah, he's already averaged 16.5 points while shooting a 39% from deep. So um, he's got great feel, tremendous feel. Uh, Yeah, I love him. I I was a huge fan of his in high school. Like I said, I kind of probably labeled him too, like you did, like, like you talked about. Eh, white guy on a nice high school team in Kentucky. Where does that really fit major-wise? Probably doesn't. Like I said, I thought Belmont was the perfect fit for him. I thought it was dead solid perfect. And then we've seen guys do that, right? We've seen guys go to those smaller schools, the mid-majors, blow it up and decide, I want to try something bigger. And probably they've gotten to the point where they're good enough to do that, and I think he has. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Xavier's in a really good spot. It sounds like things are kind of moving quickly, and if that's the case, if he makes a decision in the next – handful of days I think that's a really good sign for Xavier uh, because it seems like UC doesn't really have the scholarships available and the spots to offer him right now um, on their roster and if he's going to decide quickly it would seem like he's decided on a school he's already comfortable with yeah good point and you would think that means close to home uh, I would think you know the other schools like Creighton that you mentioned it would be a little bit more of a process where he'd want to do some zoom visits with them and, right, and get right. a better feel for things. So if it drags out longer then I think it's more open, if it's a quick decision, you set any tweets out that he's going to announce, you know, in the next few days or something, then I think uh, you probably look to one of the more local schools like X or, uh, you know, potentially maybe even if UC can backdoor something for him and, and make him, him and the rest of the roster feel comfortable with it. But from what I understand, that's not an option. Yeah, he, he is the perfect example of, of that whole, to me, the rating system, right? The five-star, four-star, whatever kind of guys. And listen, the elite of the elites, you can easily see. You could see Zion Williamson was the elite of the elites, right? You, you can see. It's the guys like this that, that I think, as a, as a fan, you either underappreciate or a lot of times you hear of a, of a hyped-up guy, maybe a top kid who comes in and he doesn't play the way. Because maybe that kid tapped out. Maybe that's, he was as good as seniors in high school as he's ever going to be, as opposed to a kid like this who – had, had more upside, had a motor, and filled that potential. And so that's where the recruiting process a lot of times is just it, – it can be ex- extremely inexact. And um, I, I think he's a perfect example of that. And, and like I said, I don't think teams missed on him coming out of high school. I think he went to the perfect place, and he just keeps getting better. And now he's got a chance to play at a higher level because of it. Yeah, uh, he's, he has definitely developed since he left high school. I, I think based on the way he was recruited, Belmont was a good spot for him. I think at the time he may have been a little bit better than that, but not much. I mean, there, I don't, I don't think Xavier should have recruited him the first time around. If we're being honest, I don't think he was a big East level player at that. Yeah. I probably would agree. I, again, I think I'd agree with that, Rick, but yeah. that's where, like I said, sometimes in the recruiting process, the player you see who's a senior in high school is either a tapped out and you're wondering why has he never played up to the level that he was projected or B he still hasn't reached that full potential. And yet here's a kid. And that's, I think the, you know, why you're seeing more of the transfer process of kids go where the comfort level is. And then they, they realize I want to take a swing at the fence. I want to play at a bigger level. Cause I think I've gotten better. I've proven that. And here he is. 
Right. I th- so his uh, senior year would have been 17, 18, 2017, 18, I believe. That's when they won I, the ninth region right. tournament. So yeah, they, look, I think they got to the state final that year. They were state yeah, runner-up. If you think back to that, then, in that ninth region finals, you had Sean McNeil at West Virginia, yep. uh, C.J. Frederick, who's at Iowa and Iowa. was freshman of the year, all fr- or at least all freshman team in all the freshman Big Ten. All freshman team. Yeah, yep. all freshman team in the Big Ten. And you have Kunkel, who is now – in theory, transferring to a high major because that's really the only schools recruiting well, him. Well, and, and you had, and I hate, yeah, I hate to say, but I mean, you had Jake Walter and too. Jake who, Walter too, yeah, who was committed to Xavier. So, I mean, that, that's four high major kids in Northern Kentucky in the same ninth region finals. That's that doesn't happen too often, and no, uh, it's a good point. I, I think that's probably part of why these guys were a little under recruited to a certain extent because people just didn't really believe that was a possibility. No, agreed, and, and and I mean, history's proven that's usually the case. Very very rarely do you get a a division one player from Northern Kentucky, let alone multiple, let alone multiple playing in the same uh, championship game. That just right. doesn't happen. And then he wasn't the same class, but then uh, a year later you got Deontay miles, who was obviously right. starring right. at the same time. So, I mean, that was a good time for Northern Kentucky basketball. As it no, no question. You're right. That's a great point. All right. University of Pittsburgh athletic director, Heather like asked the members of the Senate judiciary committee to prohibit betting on collegiate sports during a hearing Wednesday in Washington, DC like testified that presidents of ACC schools unanimously oppose gambling on collegiate sports over concerns for the well-being of the student body, the athletes, and potential threats to the integrity of competitions. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham agreed with Like, saying, quote, I think there's a lot of betting that people in the office will fill out the sheet, but none of us are going to influence the outcome of a game because we're putting 20 bucks in and you may win $200, Graham said during the hearing. I'm not saying that's right, but that's diff- that's a different problem than people who are in the business of gaming who really would make a lot if a game went one way or the other. Skinny, do you think their concerns about allowing betting on collegiate ath- or college athletics are reasonable? No, I don't, um, because people are going to bet anyway, and they always have and they always will. I think the prevalence of legalized gambling, um, I, I think, will actually help. I mean, every time there's been a point-shaving scandal of some kind, it has been Vegas that has basically uncovered that. Um, that that the, the, the Arizona State one from back in the early 1990s, it was a bunch of Arizona State students, and they got some players to shave points. And Vegas finally started looking at a couple of bets that were just completely off the wall and went, whoa, hang on, to stop, stop the presses here. This isn't working. They contacted the authorities. Pretty quickly, you uncovered it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I, think, I think one of the things that – look, there's always going to be problem gambling. I mean, I, I had a problem with it at one point in my life too, um, and it was with bookmakers, right? I mean, you, you get in, it's on paper, you don't think about it, and suddenly you have to pay the man on Monday and – Voila, you're like, how am I going to come up with this? And you scramble to do it, and it's, it's, it's an awful place to be and an awful feeling. I think the recreational gambler that goes to Hollywood Casino and puts 40 bucks in the thing and, and has a good time watching college football on the weekend, unless it's their grocery money, and it hopefully isn't, it's really not – I don't think it's hurting anything. And, and I go back to, again, people are going to bet. And so I'd like to have more legitimacy in it. I'd like it to be uh, – for, for, for more legitimate money to be pumped in so you can tell – wait a minute, there's something wonky going here. Everybody's betting on this side. Something must be going on. And maybe it's not, but more times than not, if that's what you're seeing, something is going on. And so I, I think that helps to helps the integrity, helps to keep the integrity of it. So I, I think it's a bunch of do-gooders and um, great. You want to bring that up? That's fine, sister. But nobody, the, the snowball has is, is, is already been forming with gambling yeah, across the late. country. And it's too late. You're not going to stop it. The only thing we have seen is in certain states or, or 
areas they are not allowing you to bet on the teams in your market, like the college teams in your market. So we have seen that happen. I think that's a stupid restriction. Like you you pointed out, the two main things there are one, more regulation helps you legitimize things and, and, and eliminate the cheating and the scandals and everything. And two, the people you're bringing in by legalizing it are the people who are the casual gamblers. It's the people who want to spend the $20 to win 200. It's not the people who are doing it as a business because they're already gambling at some black market site or whatever else, and you're not monitoring it. So the, their argument here makes absolutely zero sense. I'm not saying there aren't some concerns about allowing betting on college athletics because look, as long as it's happening, there is the possibility that someone is going to try to get to these kids no and offer no them the question. opportunity. But that problem exists just as much, if not more so right now than it does if you legitimize these things and start monitoring it. Yeah, I, I, that, that's the part to me. I think it's extremely short-sighted for them not to think that, that the more regulation, the better. And I think what you're getting is you're getting more regulation, the better. All right, Skinny, we're big soccer guys, as everyone knows, so we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Talk about the local soccer team. Uh, FC Cincinnati started the MLS is back tournament with an ugly 4-0 loss to in-state rival Columbus, but rebounded with a 1-0 win over Atlanta United before dispatching New York 2-0 last night. Skinny, I'm sorry, 2-0 last night. Thank you. Skinny, what are your takeaways from FCC's two and one restart? Have they caught your attention at all? No, but I got to tell you this. I'm going to tip my cap. No, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm tipping my cap. I will tell you, I watched the, the uh, Atlanta United game, the, the second of the, the three games last week. Well, you're a big Atlanta United guy. No question. And it was actually it was on at nine in the morning and there was nothing else on. So I turned it on. And I mean, FC Cincinnati was getting roasted for their style of play. They were literally playing all 11 guys on defense. They weren't trying to score. They even had a man advantage. And, and one of the announcers even said, I'm not sure FC Cincinnati knows what to do a man up. And I thought, whoa, just getting torched. And yet they find a way to win one nil. And then last night, the game you mentioned, two nothing over New York City Red Bulls or New York FC Red Bulls, whatever the hell they're called. Um, they get outshot 19 to four and win two nil. Um, hats off to Yop Stom. I mean, how about this cat? You come in, you, you decide we're going to just play on defense. We don't even think we can score, and you eke out three goals in two games and hold the other team scoreless for two. My man, you figured out a way to win because your team stinks, and you figured out a way. Good for you. Well, I mean, yeah, Yopstam takes over this team, and you're going through the whole coronavirus pandemic situation. I mean, it's. It had to be a tough spot to take over. And then you just kind of get thrown out into this tournament. Your first game is a total disaster. Things could have gone south really quickly for the start of his career had he not figured out this weird little quirky style. But the first half of that game, they were just getting killed on TV. I mean, killed for yeah, their look, style it, of play. It doesn't look good. Like, they're clearly not the most talented team. Um, they're undermanned, but... I think Mo Egger had the the com the best comment you can make about this, which he said, as a fan of UC basketball, which is what which watched Mick Cronin win in rock fights for the last thirteen years, I happen to appreciate uh, FCC's new style. So, well, I, well said. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, right? And, and uh, my guy Dan, that I do my Xavier podcast with, said FCC is the uh, GCL's MLS team. So it's it's exactly right. I mean, it's not going to win any style points. 
I do have to say they are going to have to be very, very, very opportunistic on the offensive end because they ain't getting many shots. Fortunately for them, uh, in the game against New York I was watching, they took advantage of the few opportunities they got, um, and they put them in the net. I don't know how often they're gonna, going to be able to do that. I don't know if it's sustainable, especially if they, they face teams that are uh, have a little more firepower on offense. But I tell you what, you're right. you got to give Yop Stom some credit for – Pulling one out of his arse, at least for these last two games. And, and, and let me tell you, um, you know, based on that first game against against Columbus, and if if you know the style of play hadn't worked for the next two games, and they'd have gotten, let's just say, they got blanked and, and went zero and three, which was certainly a real possibility, um, they didn't. I mean, they found ways to win, but if they'd have done that and gone zero and three, and and done it in an ugly style of style of play, look, I don't think you're going to lose the that that ardent fan base that is the FC fan base. But I do think people would have gone, eh, okay. And then next year when they start back up again, it might be, eh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like a lot of fun at, 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 up at UC. I don't know if I want to go watch this team that can't score. Instead, now they're playing in the, in the you know, they, they made it out of the, the, the pool play and they're in the, 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 the main tournament portion of it. And it makes you take notice a little bit. I mean, here we are talking about it. And, and in all seriousness, neither one of us are soccer fans. But I do think it deserves a tip of the cap. I mean, you, you've you've made yourself a little relevant. I mean, if if they'd have gone zero and three, and the Reds had caught fire and made the playoffs, I would I would love to see what the city would have done next spring when Red season rolled around on top of MLS. Because I do think MLS affected Reds attendance. I think they captured some of that fan base, the the, the family part of the fan base. But if you're you know you get to MLS and you stop winning and you 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 play ugly, it's not going to be much fun to go to, is it? Well, you know, the funny thing about that is, so to make an analogy, it's kind of like the college basketball equivalent of finding out some quirky zone. And in this case, it'd kind of be like having everyone packed in with all, all five guys got a foot in the lane or something right, with right. the style that they're playing. Um, and it seems to be working at least initially because teams are bombing away from the outside, can't hit against you, right? That's, that's sort of what it is. The question is, is it sustainable? Like, can, can that work as you keep going? Um, and so- but, but I think just making that tournament portion of it, though, Rick, at least makes you go, huh, good for him. And, and hey, now give him an offseason. Let him go find some better players. Let this organization go find better guys. Um, I, I think he bought them some time, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. If this doesn't work, if you don't get this little gimmick to work, everyone's looking at us like, oh, no, this is this is a disastrous start. This, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, especially if you're playing that ugly style. But the thing I, I was going to say to finish this out, to go back to your point about, oh, do you want to go and watch an ugly style? The difference between ba- ugly style in basketball and an ugly style of soccer is people win one nothing in soccer anyway. You know what I mean? It's already an ugly game where you don't score at all. So d- taking a defensive mentality – seems like kind of just a logical approach in a sport where no one scores anyway. So right, right. I don't think it's as hard to watch an ugly soccer style as it is to watch an ugly defensive basketball team. No, 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 no doubt. I mean, look, I, I have my reasons. I don't like the shot clock, but there's also reasons they did away with it. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm with you. But like I said, I, I think to this guy's credit, he realized they aren't very good. I'm going to just play this as close to the vest as possible. Hope the other team makes a mistake like Atlanta did by a dumbass getting two yellow cards and then getting a red and getting tossed out and FC being able to play a man up for, for really, what was it, probably 60 of the minutes, something along those lines, if not more, at least a, a, a game and a half's worth. Um, so, I, I, again, he's bought them some time, and he's getting them a little cachet now to get out of the group play, um, and hats off to him and them.
All right, it's time for our favorite segment of the podcast time for hashtag Ask Skinny Anything, where you tweet or DM or email or comment on my Musketeer Report message board now or really any form you can get at us on. We will add it to the list of questions you have for one Richard Skinner, and I just pose them and make them talk about it. So we'll start with one that is a little more serious, uh, but it's kind of an interesting question, and you are a... Uh, the daughter uh, or the father of two daughters. And so I think you're a, a good guy to ask this. This person DM'd me and says, my six year old daughter is just starting to play sports and other recreational activities. It's early, but she seems like a pretty good athlete. She said she wants to cheerlead this year as well. They go to the boys basketball games and cheer. My wife thinks she should. I think she can cheer when the boys go to the girls games and cheer. I'm not a staunch feminist, but I think it's a bad message to have little girls cheering on the boys who are actually playing. Would love to hear Skinny's thoughts. Um, all right, so so my oldest daughter um, was a cheerleader um, for actually they they had this at the um, there's a place called Sports of All Sorts up by Boone County High School. It's now I think St Henry owns the facility. St Henry High School owns the facility now. I think you know the facility I'm talking about. Yes, and they would have youth games and they would have cheerleaders for it. And my young my oldest daughter did that up till she was nine or 10. She really had no interest beyond that. My, my oldest daughter ended up cheerleading throughout high school. Um, and so I come at it from, from two different angles. I, I don't think it hurts anything if it's what she wants to do and she enjoys it. But I also wouldn't, wouldn't if she decides she wants to, to play and she chooses to play over cheerlead, like let's just say it's the choice that, hey, you got basketball practice or soccer practice tonight and you got cheerleading practice. She's got to make the choice. And I think whatever choice she makes, she just, you, you live with it and you roll with it. Again, I kind of had both. My, my oldest then became a, a, a golfer and played in college and that took up a lot of her time. My, my youngest was, was more of a, she's a theater major and, and a dancer and she liked cheerleading and she did play golf in high school. She wasn't very good, but she played and um, you know, she played a little basketball growing up. She wasn't very good, but she fell into what she liked. So yeah, I'm going to say in that case, if that, if your daughter wants to do it, let her do it. It's not going to hurt anything. It's, it's, it's active. I'd rather be active than not be active. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because on one hand, I think a lot of people would immediately jump to you let your kids do what they want. You know, you don't force them into anything and they should do whatever makes them happy. At the same time, I bet a lot of people who are the first to, to say that uh, the most aggressively would also be the people who want us to change gender roles in our society and everything else right now. So um, I do think he kind of brings up an interesting point about the traditional gender roles of girls being like influenced that they should cheer while boys should be playing the sports. Uh, it's kind of an interesting point. Uh, At the same time, I'm not a parent, so I don't know what the right answer is. To me, it seems like you let your kids do what they love because if their friends are going to be out there cheering and they just want to be out there hanging out with their friends and doing what they like, then let them do it. You certainly shouldn't force them to cheerlead. That would be terrible. Exactly the same way. I mean, as much as I wish both of my daughters were any good at basketball, they petered out in about sixth grade and they both stunk. I mean, I, they just were terrible. I mean, but my oldest was a good golfer. And all I told her when she started to do it, I said, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it hundred percent. I mean, you're, 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 if you're going to be committed, let's be committed to this. And if not, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. But if you're going to do it, be committed to it. And, and so I think, I think it's the same thing for any of that stuff. I, I get the point of the whole, you know, is it, is it weird not in today's day and age for, for girls just to cheer for boys and not vice versa? Well, you do have occasionally, Certainly in college, you've always had male cheerleaders. You're, you're starting to see a little bit more of that in the high school ranks. If they choose to do that, fine. But if your daughter wants to cheer and she thinks it's something to be with her friends and um, you know she sees cheerleaders at college games or whatever and thinks that's cool, I, I say let her do it. I, go for it. All right. 
What is the worst interview you've had one-on-one, Skinny? Oh, this is the easiest one ever. Carl Pickens. <laughs> Carl Pickens is the biggest jackass I've ever dealt with in my life. And I'm not the only one. Just about anybody in Cincinnati me that ever had to deal with Carl Pickens would, would agree. So this is back in, in, in the Carl Pickens era. This is when Jeff Blake, remember the, the whole, you're a little too young, but you know of Jeff Blake. And oh, yeah, is, Shake and Blake, baby. This is when, this is when Jeff Blake was blowing up. And uh, I was the backup beat guy for the Bengals, which meant I'd go down on, on the regular beat guy's day off, uh, days off. He'd have a couple days off, and I'd cover games with him as well and travel, but I wasn't there every day like he was. So it was my day to, to go do a story. And I was going to do something on Jeff, a big feature on Jeff. And uh, this is probably three or four games in, and he's playing great and all that stuff. And uh, so I'm going to do this big, big feature. And of course, I need to talk to some of the receivers, right? So I go over to Carl, and I said, hey, Carl, got a minute? And he just gives me this stupid stare, looks down at, at, his, at his wrist where there's no watch, but looks down at it like he's looking at a watch. He goes, 59, 58, 57, 56. He's counting down the minute because I said, you got a minute. That was, that was stupid on my part. I, so I said, seriously, 54, 53, 52, and I said, blank you, and walked away, nice. at which point then he lost his mind because the receivers were around at that point, and they started giving him crap because I said, blank you to him. And then he thought, oh, I'll talk to you, man. I said, no, nope, you know what? There's other people I'd rather talk to anyway. Have a good day. Just a jackass. Yeah, and, and that's just the way he was. Great player. I mean, Carl was a great player. I would never tell you he wasn't a great player. I mean, in fact – I think he's an undervalued Bengal just because he played on some crappy teams. But go back and look at the Carl Pickens career. Dude could play, but dude was a jackass. Yeah, I uh, can't dispute that. Uh, I don't know that I have a great one-on-one. I, sh- I know I have had bad one-on-one interviews, but I can't come up with a, a great story. But I do have a group interview that went poorly for me. It was the first time I was covering the Bengals beat for the Enquirer, filling in to help out. And it was during a uh, training camp that was at Paul Brown Stadium. And they did the Oklahoma drill for the oh, yeah. first time. Oh, camp, yeah. Right? So there's all this one-on-one matchups or whatever. And I think that my question was real simple or something. I just said, uh, did anyone stand out to you during the drill? To Marvin Lewis. And he looks at me, does his little wry smile and does, not that I would tell you. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Again, just a jackass. Yeah, just a jackass. Which is, I mean, that's not, it's not personal wide, just like Marvin Lewis, but him being that way, constantly for yes. no reason to no all reason. media members yep. while at times like he would be normal to them and like yes you know our, our channel 12 we have a good relationship and he would do the the coaches show during the week and yep. be totally normal with those people and be nice and engaging and then later in the week at a thing in the locker room he'd act like that he didn't know him. yeah no and you're right that stuff was, is just weird. weird to me like be a normal human being yep agreed absolutely agree all right Given the current climate over controversial team mascots, what do you think – we're really hitting the hard subjects today. What do you think is the most likely future Cleveland Indians name from the list below, and are there any, any obvious omissions? Um, and he sent me the betting odds to this too, which – sorry, i got to pull up here for a second. So we've got the Spiders are the top option at plus 300 odds. And real quickly, that was, I think, the original name of that team back in the late 1800s, early early 1900s. Okay. The Cleveland at Naps is the second name at plus 400. Uh, the Guardians at plus 500. The yeah. Buckeyes at plus 600. The Dobies no. at plus 700. The Wild <laughs> Things at plus 800. <laughs> the Blue Sox at plus 900. The Rocks at plus 1,000. The Cuyahogas at plus 1,500. The Crows at plus 2,000. The Rockers at plus 2,000. The Unions at plus 2,500. 
the Fellers at plus 3,300, and the Great Lakers at plus 4,000. Let's just say right now, you have to eliminate the uh, Cuyahogas and the Rockers because they just sound like minor league names. No, no, no. The Rockers is perfect. It is, but it just sounds minor league. Like, there's got to be 15 teams in minor leagues of different sports called but, the Rockers. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there. It's perfect. I know. I think you got to do something else, like the fend- Fenders or something. What's that guitar? The, the guy, the guard. I didn't like the Guardians. That That's cheesy. You don't like the me. Guardians? No. I do like the Spiders because it does have some history to it, and – I don't think you can offend anybody there unless you're, I guess, people that are afraid of spiders might be afraid to go to games because of I would, arachnophobia, I would, maybe. I don't know. Uh, what, the, the Buckeyes is no chance Ohio State would let that happen, Correct. right? Absolutely. I mean, no, no. Yeah, exactly. I scoffed at it as you read it because I'm like, there's no way. Yeah, I, I don't see that. I um, like the Rock. I'm sorry. I like it. I think the Rockers. The Great Lakers is cheesy. Um, I mean, shipbuilders, nah, that would, that would, I, I'm low, I'm loving raw. I think rockers is perfect. I think it's perfect. Well, plus 2000, you could get good odds on that. Yep. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like a minor league team to me. I do, I do think it makes the most sense, but I think spiders will win. I, that, that's, yeah. Cause again, there's, there's some, there's, there's some history there to that name. Yeah. And, and you can't offend anybody. Like I said, and spiders, are, spiders are cool. Spiders are, yeah, I don't think spiders like, are cool. Well, like as a, as a team, it's like intimidating and scary kind of. Well, I think, I think you make yourself a hell of a mascot. I mean, you make right. yourself a big, big, big ass tarantula and you put that on your thing. That could, that could scare people. Like I think Richmond always had like kind of a cool logo. Yes. Agreed. No, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do some things with the spider's name. I don't mind that. Um, I, I'm a little, I guess that you want to get away from the eye and that whole market um, branding completely. I was a little surprised they didn't have any options with eye on the front so they could keep the cursive eye, but I guess they just got to get away from that altogether. I guess so. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, the, the, the current one with the big block C is a little, a little bad for me too. Yeah. The how, about the river, how about the, how about the Cleveland river fires? Oh, I like that. There you go. There's got to be what, there's got to be a better connection than Great Lakers to do like something involving Erie yeah, or something. Like, you know? like I said, it's shipbuilders maybe, but that's too cheesy for me <laughs> too. I did kind of like Wild Things though. Wild Things is good, but I think that's again a, like a minor league gimmicky name because of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. Yeah. I think there's a team in the uh, the Frontier League, isn't it? The Washington Wild Things. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. From Washington, Pennsylvania. But yeah, I, I, again, at least there's a tie in there of some kind. That's why I go back to rock, Rockers. To me, is the easiest one. Why do you hate the Guardians? It just, it just. I don't know. I just, yuck, yuck. Why? I don't know. It just, I feel like I that. Know. That's good imagery. I feel like it feels strong. Like that's a strong. Like you could get a strong looking logo for that. I don't know. You're probably pissing somebody off with that name. I have to go look. I have to go deep. Do a deep dive into Guardians and see where it offends you yeah. somewhere back in the back in BC. That's a good point. That is uh, stereotyping. Um, the the skinny. What's the one sport you are least intelligent about? Examples: cricket, rugby, archery, whatever. Um, those three are right. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say, you nailed it. Yeah, that is. That's, a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good, good list right there. Um, yeah, I don't know any of those. What about like mainstream sports in the U.S. that people know? What's like your worst sport that you know the least about? Probably soccer, but I've covered so much high school soccer that I know a lot about it. I just don't, don't really like it. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I, I still can't figure out why people think it's the beautiful game when they just kick it around to each other for 90 minutes and one guy scores a goal and everybody jumps around. I just, yeah, I guess, I guess soccer just because i like i said i just don't know if i'm i'm just not into it enough to to know all the nuances i mean i know i know about set pieces and corner kicks in the box and the 18 year i know that kind of crud but um i guess that would be probably the one for me that, that i'm probably the least um least knowledgeable about i think mine is probably hockey 
out of the main sports? I mean, obviously all the secondary, like I know nothing about rugby or cricket. No, not a chance. Um, I just know cricket. Or, it feels like innings last forever. Yeah. Yeah. And like scores the, are in the thousands. last like two days or something, right? <laughs> I, mean, I don't understand how the scores go to the thousands. Can't they get anybody out in that sport? I don't know how the game ends. That's I don't either. I don't either. That's the thing. I'm with you. I, I know I nothing about it. I know nothing about cricket. Absolutely nothing. Um, you know, the one sport I don't know a ton about either, but when it was on during the Olympics at one time, I got kind of into it was handball. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of with you, but it's really not a mainstreamy sport. No, though. not at all. Um, not at all. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Well, I'll give you that. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you were able to lose all fear, what sport thing would you do? Examples, X Games, Olympic, ski jump, et cetera. I think I, if, to, if I had to lose all fear, ski jump would be unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've heard people that have gone and watched that in person that it's that they literally say it takes their breath away when you hear them come down the ramp and then explode off the ramp that it's almost like, oh my gosh, they're really doing that. I I I think I'd love to do ski jump. I think any of the winter Olympic sports would be wild. I mean, like just think about like the bobsled. Yep, luge, any of that stuff where you're flying down at a crazy speed and ice and yeah, I mean, the, the luge is. I mean, the bobsled at least you kind of got a little protection because of you're yeah. in the bobsled itself. But the luge, the luge man, is just a death that, trap. You're, you're just you're just laying on a sled going down the ice. Yep, yep, that's scary. All right, well, here's a, a nonsensical question for you that I don't know if you'll have an answer to, but at least this guy can get a story out. Okay, during an eighth grade basketball game, my son farted so bad that it cleared the other team's bench and coaches. The ref ran into the funk and immediately blew the whistle and stopped the game until the funk subsided. It was foul, but not a foul. Well written, sir. Question, what is the most non-illegal thing you've done to disrupt a game or sporting event? Most non-illegal thing? I, I, think, I, I think he means like what's the most excessive thing that was non-illegal here to disrupt a game or sporting event? Have you ever done anything that uh, wasn't illegal but was a little um, – no, I mean, other than getting kicked out of a game or two, no, I, no, I, you know me, dude, and this is the funny part. I'm a big, I'm a big sportsmanship guy, as you know, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm big in the handshake line. You beat my ass, I'll shake your hand. I beat your ass, you need to shake my hand. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I, I did get into it with a kid in a handshake line once, where he kind of elbowed me going by as opposed to shaking my hand, and I said something to him, and his coach jumped me, and it kind of got ugly for a, for a moment. Um, it didn't help that we beat them by like 34 points or something like that. And AAU, you know how AAU can be. People get, get a little oversensitive with, with what happens. Uh, but no, I, I can't, I can't think, I can't think of that. I, I did have a player. It's funny you say that I had a player this past year on my freshman team that, um, occasionally during practice, he would, he would blow one so bad that it would almost be, he'd stand there for a second. We get ready to do something. And I go, you just crapped your pants again. And all of a sudden you'd hear the players that they kind of waft and they go, Oh, and we'd have to stop practice for about two minutes. And a couple of times I literally, I'd go, go to the bathroom. I said, I don't care if you, if you can't go or not go to the bathroom, you're not going to keep doing this on my court. You're just not. <laughs> you having he, actual arguments with your players over farts is yes. Amazing yes. Peak yes. Coach skinny. Yeah. I mean, the best would be, you know, at the very end where you do the, do the kind of the meat on the baseline and just kind of chat up for a second. Yeah. He would do it there. That's wrong. And I'd say, dude, it's we're not going to end. I, well, here's what I'd tell him. I said, we're not ending this early. I said, we're all going to stand here and smell it. I said, that's what we're going to do as a team. We're a team, and we're going to have to smell your ass, okay? And, <laughs> and think about your teammates for a minute. Skinny. You know what's going to be amazing is when you have to have conversations with, like, a some type of supervisor or superintendent or whatever. And the, the conversation isn't because it was like sexual or you were being too mean or abusing players. It was because 
it's just you're talking about asses and farting too much during practice and yelling at them for that. I mean, I, the kid would I, – I love the kid. He was obviously – honestly, he might have been the greatest competitor I've ever coached, and I've coached some damn good competitors. Well, and, and clearly because he wanted to uh, fart in that manner too. He takes <laughs> like, everything to the yes, extreme. Yes, to the extreme. That's what I told him. I, 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 I think it, it became almost like a challenge to him of like, when can I do it to have the most effect on coaching the team? And after a while, I decided, all right, I'm going to play your game. I'm going to make a stain here. We're going to have to smell it. We're all going to have to stand in this huddle and smell it, and it's going to be on you. And then I'm going to let your teammates deal with you. Honestly, this is just more of a advice column for young coaches because that's what you – those are the things that they don't teach you at coach school that you need to know. When your players are trying to send a message with their farts, you send it back and make them stand in it as a team. That's just – because you know what they, they they want the giggle right they want the giggle factor yeah. out of that correct that's graduate school level stuff right there it really is you're welcome young yep. young coaches all right uh one for me question for rick who do you despise more the gcl dayton or Wright state are there any teams leagues that skinny just cannot stand uh so the answer to your question it's easy that's Wright state but uh, it's in the city of dayton so like i don't hate dayton as in ud I just hate the city of Dayton in general. So Wright State is like a suburb of Dayton. So I guess you can kind of include them in the same. The GCL is just sad. It's funny. Like we had a uh, – you're, uh, you're, you're ridiculous. Right. It, well, it's like meth to me. I, I said this in a group text the other day. The, starting fights with GCL people is meth to me. Like I, I don't even want to do it anymore, but I'm addicted. I just can't stop. When it has an opportunity, I threw it into a thread for no reason on my message board the other day. Just took a shot. And immediately people start commenting about it. And next thing you know, you have a two-page thread of GCL guys talking about who's the most hated GCL school and stuff. And they don't even get, this is why we're making fun of all of them and don't like the GCL. So it's, it's just the, the self-awareness of people who went to that school or those schools. It's just incredible. I honestly feel bad for them. I laugh at it. I don't hate them. Um, I hate their basketball, but I don't hate them. I was going to say, I, I'm going to guess that a large member of the Xavier message board, a oh, good yeah. contingent, is GCL graduates. I'm yeah. just going to guess that. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, most of them pay my, my salary, yeah. yeah exactly, yep. exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's not a business decision, but it's a decision, Skinny. It's a lifestyle. you got to live it. I'm, I'm, I'm noting you. I'm All right. You. Are there any teams or leagues that you just cannot stand? I like how they asked leagues. <laughs> I know you just <laughs> Are just there any leagues, leagues you don't like? <laughs> I'm gonna hate the Patriot League just cause. No, I no really no. There's there there there. I'm no. I I don't you have, have that any team. Did you hate I, one I, when you grew up? Were there any teams that you like really hated? I'll be honest. No. I mean, even as a Kentucky fan and graduate, um, I don't hate Louisville. I kind of like Louisville. I kind of like when Louisville was good. I like the Denny Crum Louisville. I like when Louisville got good in football. It made it. I like when the UK and Louisville started playing football. I like when they started playing basketball. I mean, I I, I was in college when that that dream game occurred in the NCAA tournament that kind of sparked the whole UK and Louisville need to play. Um, and it's been a great thing for the state. I, I, I think even, I mean, you're a Kentucky and you didn't go to UK, but you're a Kentucky. And I think you'd agree. UK and Louisville and football and basketball is a great thing for the state of Kentucky. I think it's sure. fabulous. Sure. So no, I, I'm going to say no. All right. Well, that does it. That's all of our questions for this week's Ask Any Anything. Appreciate it once again, everybody. Absolutely. Good stuff as always. Rick, thanks so much. Uh, when we talk next week, we'll be uh, you know, right into, bas- into the uh, uh, week into the baseball season. We will hopefully 
being to the start of training camp. We'll have to see what that looks like. It doesn't sound like they're going to hit the ground running on Tuesday, which is when camps can open on July 28th. Sounds like we're going to have kind of a weight, uh, weightlifting conditioning period for a period of time, but we'll see where that goes. And uh, we'll be uh, just about to start the NBA, restart the NBA and, and the NHL at that point. So at that point, we're getting closer and closer to having sports go full bore. We'll see where the high schools go, though. That's the, that's the next big step, and obviously college football as well. So lots still to talk about. Rick, thanks much. All right, thank you. All right, for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.